All right, ready? Okay. This is episode... Oh. 21. 21. This is episode 21 of Out of the Boat. And today we have Luke Salinda. <sighs> Say hi, Luke. Hello. Are you excited to be here? You seem a little, a little stiff. You, you seem a little tense. Luke. Yeah, I seem a little <laughs> tense. You know, loosen up. This, this is my first time on a podcast, so I'm trying to feel out what how, to do, how it goes, and how it goes. So, have you ever seen cool. our podcast? Have you ever listened to a saying? podcast? Or yeah, I, I listen to many podcasts. Oh, then is that out of the boat one of them? If you to be honest, don't answer. I only question. watch it on Brother Chris's phone because I can't really. Uh, have access to like stuff on my phone. Oh, okay. You don't have Spotify? I, I have to download it. But Brother Elijah needs to unlock the restrictions. <laughs> 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 so, so how do you, how do you listen to other podcasts? So at work, my boss, Brother Aaron, shout out to Brother Aaron. Um, he would send me some stuff. But for some reason, when he sends me stuff, it's, it's on the... Uh, um, Musely, oh. uh, Musely, like Musely. the the YouTube stuff. What so is you, Musely? Um, so there's like the YouTube app, but then Musely you can access YouTube videos. Is it Musely or Musely? Musely with an M. Musely yeah. or Musically. Is that a new thing or is that an old thing? It's it's kind of like an old thing, but it has like YouTube videos on it. Should so we be on there? If you are if you're on YouTube, it should be on there. Oh, okay. It's like a not really an extension, <coughs> but it's another avenue in which you can watch YouTube videos. It's actually pretty cool. So, total well, it's not like a side note, but one of the biggest reasons why I wanted you on the podcast, which if you haven't listened to many of them, a lot of times when I talk about on the podcast, the fire of a new believer i'm literally referencing you like wow. all the time there's many times on the podcast i literally will talk about i want the fire of a new believer and you are what comes to my mind every time because you're just literally wild literally the other day luke <laughs> we were in chapel <laughs> we were in chapel i already know what you're gonna say <laughs> i was standing next to you and you let out the loudest Scream! I literally thought, "Oh, he's getting murdered right now." We were on the balcony above you, no. not like next. Oh, 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 no, no, that was another day. Hold on, hold on. I'm talking. I'm talk yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about chapel. Literally right next to me, I thought my eardrum broke. You were <laughs> off, and I was like, "Dear Lord, no!" And then the other day in chapel, yeah, yeah. The other day we were in the sanctuary, and I think it was literally me, Jonathan, and like one other person. No, it was just us. Okay, it was me and Jonathan in the balcony, and you were down on the first floor, and you were walking all the way from one side, all the way to the other. Friday service, there was Friday. It was? Yeah, it was Friday. Were, were you guys uh, kneeling down or on the ground? I don't know. Maybe you no. didn't see us, but you walked in, and let me tell you, you let out the loudest, what, roar or scream in my life, and I literally was like... I almost packed my bags and walked out. I thought a murderer walked into the place. <laughs> I was like, well, praise God. <laughs> That's but embarrassing. I thought I was alone. <laughs> I thought I was alone. <laughs> well, well, no, you weren't. But, um, what else did you guys hear? Uh, I don't... Mm, that was honestly like the most notable thing that I okay. remember. Okay. But 
Okay, but honestly, so when I talk about the fire of a new believer, I think about you have such a I don't I don't know if the right way to say this is a, like a fresh perspective on life in the world versus life in the church. And I know for me, I don't I don't really know <laughs> I don't really know life outside of the church for the most part. So I hey. feel like I can't I don't know I've I can't reach that level of fire that you have. Mm. Like, oh my Lord, like on Sundays it's just like you literally are the definition of I'm going to dance like nobody's watching and I'm going <laughs> to sing like nobody's watching. Cause it's literally like your eyes are shut and you are going insane no matter who's around you. <laughs> so, if you, I don't know what part of your testimony that you want to share, but I, what gives you like, what is the difference between being in the world and being in the church besides the obvious things? But for you, why do you have such a fire and such a passion? Absolutely. So I was going to start um, from my birth, but let's tackle this for a few seconds or a couple minutes and then let's go into the beginning. So in the world, for those who are going to be listening that didn't necessarily grow up in the church, in the world you have an absolute darkness that you wake up every single day, no matter who you're with, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, without Jesus Christ living inside of you, you have an absolute darkness. And this darkness sucks you up every single second of the day and it's something that you cannot run from something that you cannot hide from something that you cannot get rid of you can get rid of it in a way that you numb it by alcohol drugs cigarettes uh, as a male ladies you smoked um, I smoke cigarettes, cigarettes, weed. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to my friends D- in the Philippines. D- <laughs> Luke, oh my gosh! <laughs> you ever hit the vape pen? Or is it just? Um, so I I use everything. everything. I, I I also my dad he um, caught me vaping and he um, just allowed me to do it. He allowed me to do it. And a matter of fact, he gave me one of his vape pens. Um, when I was younger, all the way in the Philippines. Anyways. Do you think that you trying all those different things was you searching for something that might fulfill that void or no? It wasn't necessarily that I started doing those for the intention of, if I do this, this void, this darkness, this absolute state of sadness, depression, there's no way to describe it that I would escape it. That wasn't my intention of doing it. I just wanted to do something that could possibly make this go away. So it wasn't something that it was absolute, but it was something that, oh, it might, it might, it might. So I tried different stuff that it might bring it away because it's, as I said, it's something unexplainable 
that you literally think it's impossible to take this away. It's impossible to remove this from your most inner being. So no, that, that wasn't my intention of why I began doing those things. However, some people may say that they do all of this stuff in order to numb or pacify, numb or, pacify or fill that void. But for me, I wasn't aware that this void was actually there. I always thought that was a way of living. I thought that was life. Gotcha. Thought that was life. What was your introduction to Christianity or like, I guess what your family like believed? Did they ever bring you to church? Right. So now we can go all the way back in the beginning, August 9, 2002. (laughs) I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Shout out to the East Coast. I thought you were born in Philippines. No. No. You literally told me you were born in the Philippines. I grew up in the Philippines, but I wasn't born in oh, the Philippines. Good distinction. Well, I'm going to take notes. Mm-hmm. August 2nd. August 2nd. August 9th, 2002. Okay. So, as we all know, 9-11 had just happened the previous year, and immigrants were, and I don't blame the Americans, I don't blame them because I, putting myself in their shoes, I probably would have been horrified if an immigrant was trying to work for me just because everything was fresh and everything was new. So um, my parents had to move from state to state. My dad was finishing his term um, of being a politician all the way in the Philippines, and he came back. My mom almost died giving birth to me. Um, my dad not being there. So he came back and they moved from state to state um, all the way from the East Coast to here in California. The first city that we ever lived in is in Clovis 559. (laughs) We had a little apartment over there. And um, I remember one of my first memories that I had in Clovis is me just riding a bike. little bicycle a little tricycle (laughs) and that's one of my earliest memories i do have memory memories earlier than that but um i mentioned that because bikes two-wheelers would have a significant role in my life later on so moved to clovis and my grandparents are actually in the church uh, assemblies of god Assemblies of God. They were once Catholic, but my grandmother's best friend witnessed to them about um, this uh, Holy Ghost, but it wasn't the full truth. So my family has always had, some of my family have always had the Holy Ghost, but it wasn't the full revelation quite yet. Just how um, in the 1600s, um, Martin Luther King, he began to revolt again against the Catholic Church because he got the revelation that, man, these these people are wrong. 
But then throughout the years, more revelation came and more revelation. Late 1800s, turning 1900, people got the revelation that whenever you receive the Holy Ghost, it's accompanied by the evidence of speaking with tongues. And then we have the 1900 revival of Azusa Street until the camp meeting that they had in Jesus' name baptism. So throughout the years, there's always been a restoring of understanding and God revealing his doctrine and his truth to humanity. So I mentioned that to say that in my family, God used my grandparents by her best friend, used my parents, and then used whoever um, external influences that I had in my life to bring me into this truth. So they had a revelation of who God is, which in apologetics would be called general revelation. But then through their general revelation of knowing God, they were able to pass that down to us, their grandchildren. And by the grace of God, God was able to give me the fullness of the revelation of his doctrine. So going back, my dad was just tired of living here in America because you had to work. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't eat, you don't survive. And my dad was a truck driver. I remember he would be gone for more than 12 hours, just exhausted. And it really took a toll on my parents' marriage. Um, my dad was abusive. At first, he was just verbally abusive until it turned into physical abuse. So verbal started breaking stuff, which is part of physical, but then the actual physical abuse where he would uh, either hit us or hit my mom. And I remember one of the most traumatic memories that I had in that little apartment in Clovis is when my dad came back from work. I believe it was 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. For some reason, I would always go with my mom to the restroom because I was a baby. I have three, <laughs> three other siblings, and we all slept in this one big room on a queen-sized bed. And whenever my mom would use the restroom, I would just go with her. <laughs> I was a mama's boy. <laughs> and my dad came home and he checked in the kitchen if there was any food, but there was no more food. Um, they would live paycheck to paycheck and there was no more food. And my dad, he was hungry. And I remember he was asking my mom, Bakit walang pagkain? which is in English, why is there no food? And my mom was trying to explain that, you know, we live from paycheck to paycheck. We don't have enough money to ha always have food on the table. Um, and we have four little children. And, you know, they, they finished the food. And so what my, my dad did, um, and to give you guys a, a view into what I'm seeing. So th imagine this is... I'm sorry, I'm using the Bible, but imagine this is our apartment. Over here 
is the main entrance. Over here is the kitchen. And then we have a little hallway over here. And this hallway, the bathroom is over here. And this is where we sleep. Mm -hmm. So in this hallway, we have a little uh, table over there. And there was candles and pictures and stuff. So a little drawer. And my out of rage, my dad grabbed that candle that was on the drawer in this hallway. And he just smashed it. And it was carpet. It was carpet. But because of the force of his throw, that candle completely shattered everywhere. And I remembered hiding beyond my mom's legs and my mom just trying to calm my dad down and her holding me and hiding me. And ever since then, I never saw my dad the same. Never saw my dad the same. He always was my hero. He always was the one who I thought would protect me from danger, would protect me from the harmful elements that the world may bring. But sooner or later, he would be the one who would bring and inflict the most pain unto me. Is so, this your biological dad? My, bi my biological father. Okay, so not the one that you have now. Not the one that I have now. Okay. This is when my parents <laughs> were still together. Um, so my dad, he was just forcing my mom, let's go back to the Philippines. Life is hard here. I cannot do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Let's go back there. We don't have to work because my, my mom, my mom's family is rich. My dad's family is rich and he's a politician. So he has money. Um, they're into both of my families, mom and dad's side, both into agriculture. If he's a politician in the Philippines, why did he come to the United States? Yeah, so he always wanted to live there. However, and this is a story that I do not quite fully understand yet, but based on what I know on the top of my head and um, what I've heard from both of my parents, well, obviously, probably one of them is biased or one of them lied because that's divorce is just dirty and ugly. But based on what I know, my dad never wanted to permanently live here. But then they were visiting one time and hopefully the immigration doesn't get my mom. <laughs> uh, they they visited here and it was supposed to be just for vacation however my mom was pregnant with my big sister not the oldest one because there's four of us but the one before me and she gave birth to her um, and making her an American citizen so you know they, they continued to stay here and eventually, my mom got pregnant with me, too. So throughout that time, my dad was flying in, flying out, flying in, flying out, because he was a politician. But they never came to that conclusion that you were asking, like, why? Like, why are we here? He, he only came to that conclusion 
when I was three and in, in Clovis, um, after that incident. So, you know, he was telling my mom, let's go back to the Philippines, as I have mentioned earlier, and we're just going to live a happy life there. But my mom, knowing how that would dramatically affect our lives as their children, not knowing how to work, not knowing how to struggle for stuff, not knowing how to wait when you need something, not knowing the real struggles of life, and most importantly, not knowing what it feels like to just sacrifice your body for something or for someone because we would always have food. We would always have whatever we want if we went back to the Philippines. So my mom wanted us to not live the life that they lived, but live a life as other people would live just so we, in other, in short, she didn't want us to become spoiled. So that's where their marriage began to um, really, really fall apart. And a year later, when I was, when I was four, my, my parents got a really, really good job offer from my grandfather. Um, he wanted to make my mom the general manager of Star Dental here in Stockton. And he was going to pay for our down payment for our house. He was going to give us a van. Um, we had a little car back then, a Toyota Corolla. Shout out to Toyota. <laughs> so that's uh, how you ended up in Stockton. Your grandparents live here? My my grandpa, my mom's dad, so my grandpa's brother. Your uncle. My my or uncle. Well, her uncle, my okay. grandpa's brother, offered her that job to move here and be the general manager over there. And that happened when I was five. So when I was four, they got that offer. But then to like actually solidify all of that, it took a year. Five, moved here in Stockton. And as I mentioned, their marriage was already crumbling apart. Um, and three years later, this is where the story gets real juicy. <laughs> real juicy. <laughs> so my dad couldn't go back to the Philippines anymore and be able to come back here because they already overstayed, um, both him and my mom. And my two oldest siblings, my oldest sister and my oldest brother, because they're Filipino citizens, they're not supposed to be here for that long. Um, so my dad, he unawaringly divorced my mom to marry an American citizen, get his papers, get his citizenship, divorce that lady remarry my mom and then both of them will be citizens thus carrying or petitioning for my sister and my brother did your mom know the plan or your dad was just my mom did not know the plan okay my mom did not so he did that for three years without her knowing um i'm i'm not quite sure if it was only for three years it may have been um 
more than three years. It may have been less than three years. But when I was eight, when I was eight, three years later, my dad got deported because the immigration caught up to it. This was a fraud. It was a fraud. You know, they they did their investigation, asked our neighbors, um, and whatever they did in order to come to that conclusion that it was a fraud. So they gave my dad three months, I believe, to leave the country. And I remember we had a, a family meeting. You know, we would we would always have these little family meetings and I was five years old and my my big heroes were my big siblings at the time and my mom. Um, not so my dad because of what he did all the way back in Clovis. So, you know, like, I was so excited. And I just love whenever we sit on their big queen bed upstairs where we sleep and we just all talk. You know, as a little kid, this, this stuff excites you. So here comes the meeting. My family said, my, my parents said that, hey, we're going to be having a family vacation you know, um, every child, every kid gets to go to the Philippines six months each. So this vacation was going to last two years long because six months for my eldest sister, six months for my brother, that's a year, six months for my other sister, six months for me, that's two years. So, you know, I was super pumped, um, never rode in an airplane that I could remember, never been out of the country and I was always intrigued in the stories that my parents and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles would tell us about the Philippines. You know, it's a new, a new country, new culture, different people, different mindsets, different ways of doing stuff. And one of the funniest things that I can remember is, man, now I'm going to have to learn how to use my fingers to eat. What? That, that was one of my main concerns. They don't have utensils? They they do, but they do, but that that's what? it's something cultural. You know, we, we use our hands to eat. It's a um, everything? Everything. What about mac and cheese? Not, yeah, use your fingers. That's disgusting. It's considered it's, everything, it's, Chris. It's called kamai. Kamai. We use our kamai to so eat. You, you use kamai or the utensils? Kamai. You guys don't like they they can't afford utensils or uh they can we can absolutely but it's culture it's something cultural why that's a very good question so uh let's let's take a history class okay we don't have to do a history class okay. never mind go on <laughs> anyways so you know i was telling them man i'm excited now i gotta learn how to use my my hands to eat this, that, that. It's just so funny. I had to bring that up. And, you know, my parents said, and, you know, Luke, you're going to be the very first one. And I was like, whoa, how soon are we leaving? And they're like, oh, uh, we already got the tickets. Uh, you're leaving in October. And I was like, okay, like, I'm, I'm ready. You know, school began and we had something called a star card. So my first week, I actually got a star card. And one of my best friends, his name is Jaylani. Um, 
because I had to leave the country, I had to leave the school, I gave him my star card. What's Anyways, a star card? A star card is so in in school, in elementary, well, back then, I don't know how they do it nowadays, you get a green card, a yellow card, and a red card. And your parents would have to sign that, uh, indicating how good or how bad you did that day, behavior-wise. Star card is gives you the pass to wear anything that you want for a day. So it's like something that, you know, you, you really looked up to because during that age, you just want to show off. You know, it's uh, that age where you want to gotcha. be seen, you want to be known, um, and <laughs> you just show off. So left the country in October, and man, oh man, I was super pumped to ride an airplane, super pumped to get to the Philippines. Um, but before we left, you know, we, we had like a goodbye and everybody was just so sad, everybody crying and um, all of the, the sad stuff that you could ever mention that's in the human vocabulary. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know why they were being overdramatic, but apparently I, I was the only one who didn't know the full plan. So the full plan was that I was the one who was going to stay with my dad. There was no family vacation. There was no six months, six months, six months, six months. So they lied to you. They lied to me. The people whom I trusted growing up, the people whom I considered my big heroes, my big siblings, and my mom, they lied to me. They manipulated me into believing that this is what I want, not what they want. So early on, you can see these, all of this stuff getting a hold of me and later on would affect me tremendously, tremendously. So arrive, we arrive at the Philippines. For some reason, I can't breathe. And <laughs> I, had, I had asthma growing up, but I thought I didn't have asthma anymore. So I was telling my dad... Papa, Papa, I couldn't breathe. And back then, I didn't know Tagalog quite yet. And he was like, okay, okay, let's just walk it off. Let's just walk it off. But it was just, it was my first time breathing air that's polluted. And it was so humid. Oh. So. Kind of walked into like a sauna. A sauna, Yeah. And I never have experienced that before. So it was so funny because he was like, yeah, yeah, just walk it off, walk it off. And soon enough, you know, sooner or later, I didn't even realize that I couldn't breathe. Like I was just breathing normally. So my, my body adapted quickly. Um, really weird because whenever we got out of those doors, there was a whole crew whole crew literally that came and 
welcomed me and my father. And I felt so famous, you know, <laughs> I felt so famous. Uh, I've never had that many people care about me, yet alone my dad, and just show so much love and respect. And we had a this little, not even little, this big van come and get us. Felt like a celebrity, I'm not even lying. And we, we went to our house, and it was my great-grandmother's house. We call her Inang. And the moment I stepped down of that van, she came to the ground, grabbed some dust, put it on my teeth, said like a little prayer. And I was like, <laughs> I was annoyed. And my dad was like, he just patted me on the head. You know, he patted me on the head and he said, um, it's called anting anting, which is uh, something that they do to protect you from bad spirits, to protect you from witches, to protect you from spells, from curses. You know, they're in the Philippines, they're very superstitious. They believe in a lot of um, superstitions and all of these f stories. Um, and I wouldn't really get into that. I wouldn't really get into that. Anyways, we, we get there and I remember, you know, we ate, slept a little bit, and then we went back to the airport to go to duty free. Because why not? It's tax free. You know, you can get so much stuff for a cheaper price. Asians, really smart finances. So, and I'm, I'm, ve I'm being very intentional with the stories that I tell because all of this will make sense later. So I'm just building the foundation. Went to duty free. And as I mentioned earlier, we grew up poor. I grew up poor. So all I knew is, and my, my mom, my siblings can testify to this. All I knew is, hey, grab whatever you need in the cart, but not what you want. So I've never gotten what I wanted growing up. Never. Not unless my grandparents were here. <laughs> so this is my first time. I'm not even lying. I was, five, I was eight years old at the time. My first time ever getting what I wanted, what I actually wanted, but not only one, but everything that I wanted. So as a kid who grew up having nothing and all of a sudden getting everything that you want, this was heaven to me. This is all that I've ever been dreaming. And I remember I had Nerf guns. I had this little um, gun that you would load little balls in it and and you would shoot it and it, it actually hurt leave marks and i was like <laughs> i'm definitely getting my brother with this i'm definitely getting my brother with this and i would just talk to myself i was just so happy with all these toys and i remember i was the one who came up to my dad i told him papa i don't want to go back to america anymore can i just stay here and you know he said yeah, let me call your mom. Let me ask your mom. Let's see what she says. And, you know, he, I thought he called my mom, but apparently he just pretended later on I would figure all of this out. But at that time, I thought he called my mom and he said, yes, 
yes, yes, yes, you can stay here. Um, not knowing that was their plan all along to entice me, knowing that I've never had anything growing up and all of a sudden I'm getting everything that I want. So they enticed me with my own lusts, with my own lusts to trick me into believing that I was the one who wanted to stay there instead of them planning that all along. So not a couple months later, my dad went back to run for his position, um, left me with my grandmother. So for my first year, I was with my great-grandmother. Um, and I, I actually had, and this is a common thing in the Philippines, I actually had maids, um, little, literal caretakers uh, at the Mara, Kuya Iking, and they would take care of me, take me to school, cook me breakfast, bathe me, dress me, drive me around. I, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I lived like that for a year. And my great-grandmother, you know, loved me very, very much. Even she would buy me everything that I wanted. And she would cook me everything that I wanted. Um, so that was my first year there, not with my dad. I wasn't with my dad, unfortunately. Um, so I got the privilege of finally moving to the province where my dad was. But because he was so busy, barely saw the man. Barely saw the man. And as I moved to the province, because um, I was in the city and then moved to the to the country. Province is just country. And that's where my life changed forever. Um, that's, that's where I found out that, uh, I had a desire for motorcycles, motorcycles, guns, you know, ever since I was young, my first memory riding that little bicycle, that little tricycle. Um, and then now here in the Philippines, being able to have my own mo motorcycle. So in the Philippines, if you guys didn't know, you don't need any license. <laughs> oh my gosh. You don't need to wear any helmets. You you don't need any gear, none of that. If you have the money to buy a motorcycle, go for it. So I had my own motorcycle, had my own guns. Like, man, like what else did I need? Um, my friends knew me because of my last name. They feared my last name. Um, and I thought they feared me, but it was... It was just respect because I knew my dad. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how it came to this point. But it came to the point because my dad hired somebody. His name is Lowell Kuya Lowell, which is now his head bodyguard. He hired somebody who would just like take care of me and just be there with me. Um, loving guy, tough guy, you know. But it came to the point where people thought that he was my dad. So I consider him my second dad, Kuya Lowell. Shout out to you if you ever <laughs> listen to this. 
Um, so he was the one who would be there for my parent meetings. Um, any achievement that I got growing up, he would be there. And he was legit like a second dad to me. So anyways, got into a really, really bad friend group who all every single one of us trying to be rebellious against our parents because I went to a private school. So um, I was with children who were more fortunate than others. And um, we were just being rebellious, you know. We would drink grade four. I was in the fourth grade. Wow. Fourth grade, y'all. Fourth grade, I began to drink. Fourth grade, I began to pick up cigarette butts from people who would just throw away their cigarettes. Just just do it by myself. And later on, grade five, drink even more and, and buy my own cigarettes. In the Philippines... There's no age limit. We have this thing called the cantina and you can you can buy alcohol, you can buy cigarettes as long as you have the money for it. No question asked. Even if you were a baby, do you have the money to pay for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So got heavily involved in alcohol. It was almost every night and even our people who would work for us, I would drink with them. I would smoke with them. So grade four, it was just my friends. Grade five, it was my friends. And then our people who worked for us. Grade six, I just went all out. All out. Like when I tell you guys I went all out, my my dad, he caught me because he smelled, he smelled my fingers. Um... And apparently there was a report from our school to my dad that they had caught me and my friends smoking cigarettes. So he caught me, he eventually caught me, and he beat me up. When I tell you guys he beat me up, this guy had had no mercy. Um, and I'm not going to talk about that because... I don't know if there's any graphic uh, sensor that we need to do. I don't know. So, <laughs> okay. I don't think so. so he, you know, he beat me up, crying, sobbing, and that was that was that was probably one of the, one of the many worst or or one of the many horrifying memories that I have back then. So this made me mad even more because for some reason I was just mad growing up. And I'll explain it later why that happened. Like at the time I just thought, again, this this was how life was. And so... My dad caught me. Um, I didn't stop. 
in a matter of fact, I just got worse. So my seventh grade, I began to get involved in motocross and MMA. So I was this little motocross star because my my dad was actually a racer. I forgot to mention that. So I don't know if like I got any skills from him or if it's just something that I naturally desired. So I was doing motocross. I was a little motocross star and I was doing MMA. But sooner or later, I would get into an accident that would end my career completely. But as I was doing motocross and MMA, I was able to step away from these vices that I had from alcohol and uh, cigarettes, not not yet weed, not, not yet weed. So did motocross, got into a severe accident, and that ended my career. And I was, I remember I was so depressed so depressed and woke up after surgery and my family was there except my dad. My dad wasn't there. My grandparents were there and my half-sister was there. Um, And after that, I just had this great bitterness towards my dad. To make it even worse, my dad tells me that, hey, I I think you deserve to know the truth now. Me and your mom got a divorce. It was always our plan for you and me to stay here. But we just never told you. So at the worst moments of my life, he decided to make it even worse by telling me the truth. And I just felt this great depression and this great weight begin to rise in me. I wouldn't say it fell upon me, but it was something that was already inside of me that just, it just exploded. And now from there on, from that point on, I had to live with that until I came to Christ. So began to hate all of my family. Began to hate just everything. So full of hatred. I was so full of bitterness. I was so full of this thing that I kept on telling you guys that I cannot explain. And it never stopped. And one thing that I forgot to mention is the first time that I got exposed to pornography. So my uncle, who was my tutor at the time, he would tutor me and one day he decided me one night he decided to take me inside of his room and he made me watch porn. And I have never 
watched porn in my life. Never. He taught me how to masturbate because he did it in front of me. So back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sorry. We can edit this out. <sighs> okay, okay. Serious, serious. I remember I would go to the extent of I had a cousin that I lived with and I would lust after her. I would lust after her and I would watch porn. Um, very wicked stuff. Very wicked. You said your cousin? My this cousin. Is, this is still in the Philippines? This is still in the Philippines. And he soon then would begin to molest me. Your cousin um, or your uncle? My uncle, my tutor. <clears throat> and at that time, I thought, man, like this, this feels good. But then later on, it would affect me very much knowing that I got, I had gotten taken advantage of. And again, it was from somebody who was in my family. This is, this is before my dad revealed all of this to me. So I just forgot to tell that part. Um, but I just felt that it was very vital, very important to go back and tell the story. So I got molested by my own uncle. And I personally believe he is dealing with a homosexual spirit. So going back to where I paused. So now I'm living with this unexplainable thing after my dad has revealed that to me. And now I don't have anything to pour it out on because I didn't have motocross anymore. Didn't have MMA anymore. So you know what? Let me go back to good old alcohol. Let me go back to good old cigarettes. But this time I needed something more. Started smoking weed. And I remember my very first time smoking weed. I was with my friends and we went inside of my room. And this is during the time that I I had a vape. We were vaping and um, people knew me because of vaping. Because I would, I can just inhale so much and blow so much smoke people people found that amazing i honestly thought it was amazing too but anyways we went inside my room and man i remember the first time getting high i could not stop laughing <laughs> for nothing couldn't stop laughing hungry to death my mouth was dry, and I thought, man, this is the best feeling in the whole entire world. Let me let me do this over and over again. So I asked my maid, our maid, to cook us some food, and we completely destroyed that food. Asked her to cook again and again and again, and I think she figured out that were high. So later on I I 
told her to not tell my my dad, told her to not tell my grandparents, um, and she did it. She did it. Anyways, my half sister, she met a guy. Uh, his name is Giovanni, and he's a he's a pilot. He's a pilot, and he was hitting on my sister at that. But now they're married. But at the time, he was just hitting on my sister. And obviously, if someone was hitting on my sister, I wanted to know this guy. Began to talk, began to hang out, and he really gave me a passion for aviation. And the closest thing that I could get to motocross, that feeling of flying, is flying, real flying, flying airplanes. So I got into aviation real quick. So graduated from high school, um, worked real hard to get into the top aviation school in the Philippines called PATS. I don't know if it's still the top aviation school as of today, but back then it was. So got into the top aviation school, um, moved away further from my dad into my own place. I was living by myself. I was 16, and I began to just do some crazy stuff some crazy stuff party little like literally going to the clubs and messing around with ladies and it was it was just a bad lifestyle it's a bad lifestyle how one did, how did, sorry they were gone one night i woke up from I was either high or just came back from a party or probably both but I woke up to pee and I remember just thinking about how miserable and depressing my life is and I remember telling myself this is out of nowhere and this is a God thing this is a God moment I remember telling myself, I miss my family. After all of these years of not talking to them and hating them, having this bitterness, out of nowhere I said, I miss my family. So, talked to my dad, called my mom, and we were able to figure out a way for me to come here uh, during my Christmas break. You know, the Lord made it happen. It's a God thing. So went back here, first time seeing my mom in eight years. The last time she, she saw me, I was eight years old when we were having that cry session that I was telling you guys before we left. I was this big. Literally this big. And she never saw pictures of me of how I looked. She never saw videos. She just completely 
blocked out of my life. She saw me and I saw her. We just began to, to cry and weep and I hugged her. She hugged me and she couldn't let go. And it felt like all of my emotions that were bottled up were just like released that night. Um, and it's it's so crazy because that same year that I visited, we had a family reunion. And it we didn't have a family reunion because I came, but it just so happened that it was that year. I didn't know. My mom, I think she she did know. Uh, but my my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, they all came to our house. And that little house that y'all picked me up from tonight, there was at least 20 people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 20 people in that house. Two bathrooms. What? <laughs> 20 people. I don't know if we made it happen. Anyways, we made it happen. So it was with my family. You know, I haven't seen my cousins and seeing my aunts, my uncles, and my grandparents were here too from my mom's side. Man, I just really felt that I really missed my family. Really missed my family. And this so is a, did you go back to the Philippines and you ended back up in Stockton? Yeah. So um so after after that, so December, spent Christmas here, spent New Year here. Um, went back to the Philippines to finish off my schooling. And then I called my mom. I told her, hey, I'm going to move back to America because I want to advance my education. Because mm-hmm. I was taking aerospace engineering at the time. Hey, I want to move there to advance my education. Can we make that happen? And she told me yeah like we can ask your dad and note this my dad never answers for nothing whenever you call him Mm -hmm. and when I called my dad he answered when my mom called my dad he answered and in less than three hours I was able to buy a ticket get everything settled for me to move back here. Me living there for eight years, turning nine, in a twinkle of an eye, now I'm back in Stockton. So moved back here in July, no, June, June 10 of 2000. 19 June 10 2019 and as you all know COVID happened throughout December and the following year COVID COVID was still a thing but I turned 18 in 2019 which meant I had to uh, step up my game Get a job. <laughs> you know, step up my game. Get a job. And, oh, excuse me. I 
I turned 18 in 2020, not 2019. So step up my game, got a job, but it was it was COVID during that time. A lot of stuff happened between me and and um, me turning 18, but I I don't really feel it necessary to share it for tonight. So moved back here and then COVID happened. But then at the same time, I needed a job. And note that I don't have any job experiences. <laughs> I've never worked a day in my entire life. If anything, the only thing that I've done is um, go to meetings of my dad's business. It was a, a cable company. And that's all. But I've never had any work experiences applied during COVID. This is in the middle of an epidemic applied to many, many places. And my sisters were encouraging me, keep on applying. Just, just do it. But one thing that my sister had told me, my biggest sister, before I started to apply for all these jobs is, hey, try Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "Have I've been to Chick Fil A? They're they're too good to hire somebody who doesn't have any work experience and in and out. You know, it's this famous burger place. It's quality you can taste. It's, I don't have the only quality they can get out of me is math. <laughs> <laughs> you know, praise God. Anyways." Two months passed by, still didn't have a job, turned 18, and man, I was, it was hard, it was hard, so I finally decided to apply at Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out. In-N-Out didn't get back to me, but Chick-fil-A did, shout out to the Chick-fil-A fans. Chick-fil-A reached out to me saying that, hey, we'd want to have an interview with you the following day. And, you know, I, I'm i not young and naive to not know what scammers are. Yeah. So I asked my sister, I was like, hey, like, do you think this is really Chick-fil-A or is this like a scam? Mm. So she checked it out, you know, and. Man, like this was a legit thing. So the next day, I had my interview. First interview. There's four interviews. Four interviews. I don't know why, but there's four interviews. First interview, lady liked me. Second interview, they liked me. Third interview, they liked me. And here comes the fourth interview with the big, big boss. <laughs> So she interviews me, just asks some simple questions, and I'm like, yeah, they're probably not going to accept me. But I was being myself. Y'all know who I am. Yeah. Um, the college knows how I am. The, the church knows how I am. And um, I, some reason, I got accepted. And I remember October, I already feel the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's... <laughs> surging in, inside of me October 
got that job. And my orientation was October 21st of 2021. October 21st, 2021. Oh, no, no, no. I'm getting stuff confused. October 2nd of 2021. Because October was my first time going to church. So October 2nd of 2021 was my orientation. And Josue, brother Josue Ruiz was there. And I remember he had his little mask on. It says Christian Life College. And I was like, hey, bro, uh, what college do you go to? And he was like, he literally pointed out to his mask. And I was like, oh, Christian Life College. Like, what's what's that about? You know, made small talk. And he he gave me his number and stuff. And we started texting. He's a cool guy. Really cool guy. Um, I definitely noticed something different that that he had um i didn't know that it was the holy ghost quite yet but then the next week was my first day at work so let me ask you guys this i always ask people this if you guys were a business owner in the middle of an epidemic worldwide epidemic and you guys have a new employee, no work experience, has never touched a, a fryer, has never mopped a floor, has no work experience mm-hmm. at all. Would you guys give that employee the best trainer that you have or any trainer, just any trainer? I'm probably the best trainer. The best trainer, mm. brother Jonathan. Any trainer, any trainer, any trainer. Okay. Well, for some reason, they decided to give me not the best trainer, but they gave me brother Andrew. Not saying that Fergoso? he's bad. Andrew Fragoso. Oh yeah, he's horrible. I bet. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> not saying that he's bad. But they, their best trainer was available during that time. And so they gave me Brother Andrew. And as a trainer, he was required to get to know me. And, you know, part of getting to know somebody, you talk to them. And through throughout talking, we were able to eventually get to the things of God and... Um, I remember he invited me to church over here at Christian Life Center. And one thing that really got to me that he said is, if if my heart is telling me to go, then just go. And so I remember telling my parents, I was so excited. But they were warning me. They were because I was telling them that yeah, like they believe in one God, and they were they were trying to understand it, and and they they have this friend, she's a, a pastor, lady pastor, uh, um, and they they legitimately thought CLC is a cult. <laughs> I'm 
man, I, w- I can't lie about this stuff. They, they thought it was a cult. Mm-hmm. And they, they told me to be careful, you know. Um, my, my stepdad, he told me, always go back to the word. You know, he'd always tell me that. There are assemblies of God. Um, and so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So go, I go to church the very first time <laughs> y'all have service ever since lockdown. Mm. So everybody's stirred up. <laughs> My God, I thought I just entered into an insane asylum. <laughs> Pre-service prayer was nuts. The, the praise and worship was nuts. You, you have people jumping, somebody weeping on the side. You, you have the, the Morris family running <laughs> and, and, and people jumping around and it's just so alive. And I'm, I'm like, huh? Man, the the craziest thing I've seen in church is is a cricket cricketing. <laughs> <laughs> like like what what's going on? You know, what's going on over here? And I remember the preaching came, and this is the funny part. I remember Pastor Haney preaching and in my mind I, I had I had already made up in my mind that man, this is a cult. <laughs> And this this guy comes up, tells people how to live. And I was like, this is a cult. This is a cult. That's literally what was going on in my mind. And then after this guy speaks, people people begin to go in the front. The altar call. People begin to cry. And I, I had no clue what was going on. And I was like, okay, well, these these homies got brainwashed. This this is definitely a cult. And you guys can probably relate or you guys probably know somebody who has the same experience. But I thought y'all were nuts. So right after the service, Brother Andrew, he asked me, hey, bro, <laughs> how'd you like the service? I straight up lied to his face in front of the altar. I was like, yeah, I really loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like introducing me to all of these ladies. Man, after lockdown, I, I like really <laughs> needed that. <laughs> if I'm being honest. So, you know, uh, came to work and uh, that, that week passed by and he was like, yo, bro, like, so I'll see you tomorrow, you know, on a sa- uh, Saturday because we always close. I always closed. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Sunday came, didn't show up, didn't text that homie. We didn't have work Monday, but Tuesday, I remember, he asked me, was that like, hey, bro, um, <laughs> did you come? Did you come on Sunday? And straight up lied to that homie again, told him, yeah, bro, my, my parents are paranoid about this pandemic, and I'm probably never going to go again. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... The the very statement that he told me that got me the first time, he, reiter- he reiterated it. And 
mind that I, I already thought that they were a cult. I'm, I'm, I was never going to go back there, you know. But he told me the exact same phrase, what he told me the first time. If your heart is telling you to go, then just go. And he was speaking in the Holy Ghost because something stirred up in me that day that I cannot explain. I didn't feel the presence of God, but I just felt that draw, that pull to go back and just give it one more shot. So the whole week I was wrestling. That was on a Tuesday. The whole week I was wrestling with it. And there was times where I was like, nah, I'm not going to go. But then that that throb, it was like throbbing in me. Okay, I'm going to go. No, I'm not going to go. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go. Saturday, made up in my mind because I got back home at like 1 a.m. after closing. So uh, closed Saturday night, got back home Sunday 1 a.m. And I was like, well, I was going to go, but I'm not going to wake up, you know, so I'm not going to go. And I remember falling to sleep, waking up at 6 a.m., no alarm, no nothing, and still in my mind. Mm -hmm. Just go. Just go. Just go. And. I thought to myself, I told myself, you know, I'm not going to lose anything. If they are a cult, then this time I'll definitely know. This time I'll definitely be able to confirm all of the accusations. So I get ready, you know, um, I drive to church. I text Brother Andrew. Um, I believe I still have the messages. But then he said, okay, bro, I'll come and get you. But as I was pulling up, before I texted him, I felt this tremendous presence. I didn't know it was the presence of God yet. But I felt something as I was just pulling up to the parking lot. And I started crying. This this is just me in the parking lot. Texted him, okay, bro, I'm going to come and get you. You know, and as we were walking in, um, I know he saw me crying and, you know, sniffling. Mm-hmm. And you all know how the big church is. So you, you walk in yeah. and then there's a lobby. Mm. And then you walk into the sanctuary and it's just... It just hit me, and I immediately started sobbing, and I just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. What I lacked, what I didn't have growing up, in that moment of time, I was able to get a glimpse of it didn't have love I didn't have the attention I didn't have the affection 
I didn't have nobody there with me. And literally everything that I lacked when I entered into that sanctuary, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what I need. So ever since then, I never stopped missing a service. And they would, this is where Brother Tim and Brother Josue comes in, plays a big role, pick me up, talk about the things of God. Until January 10, Pastor Micah Johnson was preaching. This was his last service, January 10, 2021. He said something that just shook me to the very core. He said, either you're going to be a man living for Jesus, or you're going to be a man living for yourself. And this is after he had built a strong foundation with the word of God. And it just absolutely shook me went to that altar it was my first time at the altar and I didn't know what to do but I just wanted to give my life to Jesus and I remember just being there and I began to pray because at this time I already knew how to pray and people come up to me, Brother Josue, Brother Tim, Brother Andrew, Pastor Ellis, and Pastor Wiley, five people, being to pray with me, pray for me. And I was up at the altar for an hour and 30 minutes. And I was just sobbing like a baby. And after an hour and 30 minutes, I felt like I threw up, literally, <laughs> felt like I threw up, and as I threw up, I just felt, have you have you guys ever sucked in um, noodles, like, mm -hmm. you know, like just that, like that little mm -hmm. string, it literally felt like that, the Holy Ghost just entered into me, and I began to shout, with tongues and they've always asked me if I wanted to be baptized in Jesus name but that day I immediately got the revelation of the one true God they asked me and I it was the Lord because they asked me hey do you want to get baptized I said yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah, no, no second questions, no second thinking, just yes. Because what I felt at that altar, whatever entered into me, I knew that that was real. I knew that that's something that will and can forever change me. So I went got changed 
and Pastor Ellis was going to baptize me. Well, he did baptize me. Entered into that water. He was giving me the instructions. There's a video and pictures, and it was just a quick dip. But for some reason, and I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but this is just how God operates, and this is how real baptism is in Jesus' name. As he dipped me inside of the water, I was able to relive my past. And as I relived it, not all, not all, if I'm being honest, not all, but just my past. And as I was going up of that water, it's as if all of that stayed in the water. water. But in the video, it was just... Yeah. But I was as I was down there. Like slow motion. It's I relived my life and I relived all of my sins. It's everything that I have done and that has happened to me. And it just stayed in the water. And ever since I've never missed church. Not unless I'm not in town. I've never stopped praying. I've never stopped reading the Bible. I fasted. Um, does that mean that I don't sin anymore? Absolutely not. But my love for Jesus is absolutely infinite percent because of what he's done for me and what he's brought me out of. I just have one question throughout this whole thing. Do you think all the experiences that you went through and everything that you experienced in your childhood and, and coming into church, not necessarily late in life, but later than me, for example, coming in at, I guess, 19, you would say. Do you think that has, well, I think it has. It's definitely helped fuel your fire, your intensity for serving God because you know how drastically opposite and how bad the world is. Is that correct? Do you think that's why you're so like, on fire per se yeah so my purpose in life back then was to become an aeronautical engineer become a pilot and that was why i was living i would wake up because i i gave up alcohol i gave up cigarettes i gave up partying i gave up weed i gave up ladies And my main purpose was, man, let me just become the greatest aeronautical engineer and become the greatest pilot. That was my purpose. But when I began to live for Jesus and he delivered me and I finally got the revelation that my God loves me, My main purpose back then, I threw that away. And if I would wake up back then just to become an aeronautical engineer and become the best pilot, now I wake up every day having the intention of being the best lover of Jesus Christ. And that's what fuels my fire. Passion. That's what fuels my passion. 
Do you have any questions? No. No. Luke, if you have no more to say, that has been a powerful testimony. Amen. I think a lot of people will be ministered by it. Amen. Love you, brother Luke. I love you, brother. Wow. <laughs> this has been episode 21 of Out of the Boat. Thanks, you, brother. Luke. <laughs>